Greetings and salutations, all you sportsmen and women and conservationists across New York State and the Fruited Plain. Hey, welcome back to another episode of We Love Outdoors with Rich Davenport, coming to you from sunny Tondawanda, New York. That's right, sportsmen and women, welcome back to another episode of We Love Outdoors with Rich Davenport, coming to you on Anchor.fm, powered by Spotify. Hey, you can now get this podcast on Amazon Music, as well as on Spotify and Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Beacon, and Free Radio, and Pocket Casts, and of course, Anchor.fm. Hey folks, please help support the cause, Uh, you know, donate $2 a month, $5 a month, whatever you can afford, as it helps me push back on the propaganda in the mainstream media, while providing conservation news and commentary, along with sound science and conservation principles and hey you know speaking of commentary it's my show it's my commentary and it's my opinion and it doesn't necessarily reflect any of the official positions of organizations I may be a part of but if it is an official position I'm gonna let you know about it and also you know the views expressed here on this show may not reflect the views of the program sponsors or advertisers just so we're all clear right All right, hey folks, please spread the word. Uh, We're now entering the last full week of May. Uh, Next week is going to mark a whole bunch of, uh, you know, June is busting out all over milestones. Um, But, you know, we're going to jump right in today because we've got a lot to cover. And the spring turkey season, you know, it does have a little over a week left before this 2022 spring season is in the books. And, you know, this year's weather has been somewhat cooler than one might expect. Although certainly a few scorcher days have been mixed in. Uh, You know, forecasts are now showing that the ranging of temperatures is going to be around the 60s to 70s. And maybe, you know, coming up with some periodic rain to round out this Memorial Day weekend. But a return to the 80s come Memorial Day Monday. Um, You know, all I got to do is say, you know, all I have to say, I should say, is good luck to any of the turkey hunters that are taking advantage of the last part of the season. And, you know, be, you know, be mindful of ticks out there you know that the ticks are going great guns uh their breeding season is about ended but you know they're still feeding up and uh you know as as we start getting more and more into the into the summer months uh you'll see some of that fall back but they're just use the permethrin and use that precaritin folks Uh, i can't stress that enough i know it's i'm a broken record with ticks um you know we've got some good news here folks that the uh uh, 2021 deer harvest has finally been released after much anticipation and the final numbers reflect what many hunters have been saying last year during the hunt and that last year was kind of an off year for action and activity you know i'm going to dig deeper into this report uh during the next episode of we love outdoors you know as this uh harvest report was just released today with the official press release coming out just maybe about an hour or so ago um but to give you a summary of, of what we have here in the in the, the 2021 deer harvest, uh, here it is. It's on a statewide basis. Well, like I said, I'm going to dig into it a lot deeper next uh, during the next uh, episode. Uh, but statewide, the harvest total uh, for total number of deer harvested, that was 211,269 deer. Uh, that's the estimate, obviously. The, um, and that's breaking down in the 2021 season to 110,839 antler deer and approximately 100,430 antlerless deer. Antlerless deer could be both fawn does or fawn bucks and adult does. Uh, antler deer are any any deer, any buck that, uh, or a doe if it is antlered for that matter, if it's got a three inch or longer uh, uh, antler on it. That's what an antler deer is. That's typically one and a half years old or older. Uh, you know, the harvest this season uh, is looking like it was down about 16.8% statewide. Uh, you know, we had uh, an early archery season showing 48,679 deer total harvested. 139,734 deer were harvested during the regular season. And then there was 19,268 deer that fell during the muzzleloading seasons. Uh, Not to mention the 1,670 deer that were estimated harvested during the special Columbus Day youth hunt in the southern zone. 
Uh, in addition, there was 1,918 antlerless deer uh, that were harvested during the special September season in the limited WMUs across New York's southern zone. But, you know, as I said just a little bit ago, this does represent a 16.8% decline statewide for the number of deer harvested this year versus 2020, which was estimated to be just shy of 254,000 uh, total animals. The declines appear to really have been driven by much lower antlerless harvest, despite the uh, new antlerless-only firearm season in September, which, uh, you know, did harvest down uh, just shy of 2,000 animals. Uh, you know, the, the antlerless uh, uh, harvest this year was down a full 27% versus last year's total of 137,557 antlerless deer. Interestingly, the special youth hunt did see an increase in harvest first as last year of, uh, you know, even though it was off of a, a smaller number, you know, still had a 36.3% increase um, or 1,670 animals versus last year's 1225. And that's probably reflective of the younger age group participating this year, the 12 and 13 year olds, as well as crossbow, uh, you know, showing an increase in take on the crossbow as an implement of choice at just uh, right around 27.5%. Uh, crossbows estimated to have harvested 14,384 deer versus last year's 11,285 total. Why that is, we don't know. Um, uh, reporting compliance, uh, just so folks uh, are aware, you know, reporting compliance is supposed to be 100%. Uh, you know, as part of the part of the regulation, I think it's actually codified into law that states that you must har uh, report your big game harvest, and then there's a regulation to it that says you got a week to do it in. Uh, you can call it in. You can do it uh, online with your, uh, you know, through the the DEC website at the the Harvest Information Program. Or you can use the DEC, the, the new Huntfish New York uh, uh, mobile app, which replaced the Pocket Ranger. You can even do the, your, your harvest through that as well. Uh, and despite, you know, having all those there this year, uh, you know, you still had an estimated reporting compliance of 47.8%. So, you know, all, you know, of all deer harvested, you know, under 48% of those deer were reported. But that is better than last year's abysmal 44.9%. So there's that. Um, I, it's still both, you know, this year and obviously last year's abysmal total was still under the five-year compliance of 48.5%. Uh, but at 47.8, there's still plenty of room to go. We have a lot of room for, of improvement or room for improvement as, as a, a user group, as a stakeholder. Um, and, you know, the big drop a couple of years ago was most likely due to uh, that cutover to the Calchemy system and the harvest information program that was in place with the phone-in system and the, and the uh, uh, online system really didn't work too good last year. And this year there were still a few bugs in it. Uh, which could, you know, still contribute to that uh, depressed uh, compliance rate, but um, you know, it's it's we got to get better at that, folks. Hopefully, maybe a little comp uh, transparency uh, from the DEC could help out with that. Um, there were some limited issues. The headaches again on that reporting system were nothing like they were two years ago. Uh, and we do know that if, if, you know, somebody runs into a problem working with a government utility, especially online, you know, something that the government is, you know, if you've, you've got a, you're trying to do something in paper and it's a confusing form, it's awful difficult to get somebody to, to get that filled out. Uh, and, and online, it's, it's even worse. I mean, as soon as they run into a problem, they're going to abandon that. But in any event, uh, let's hope that next year the bugs are completely worked out of the uh, harvest information system. And, uh, you know, we can try to work on getting this, uh, uh, this reporting rate up and running uh, a little bit higher than just below 50%. Uh, I will say that, uh, you know, despite the fact that we were down 16.8% uh, in terms of total harvest, uh, you know, the buck harvest, it looks like uh, the antler deer were just down a little bit, like 4.5%, 5.5%. Uh, that's not a very large drop. 
Um, so, you know, there were still plenty of bucks that were taken. And we'll dig into, like, the specifics of it because it's really a granular report that is put out. Again, that's available on the DEC website. Go to dec.ny.gov. Uh, look under recreation and, and uh, hunting, and you'll see there's an area for deer harvest, and you should be able to download the uh, PDF report. Uh, so, you know, that's that's always good news. Uh, I wish it was a couple months, uh, uh, released a couple months earlier is all. And while Memorial Day, you know, getting back to the swing of things here as we're marking Memorial Day next week, you know, we've not seen any, you know, movement on the local front to get Erie County to join the rest of upstate New York uh, to lower the firearms deer hunting age to 12, as uh, 51 other counties across upstate New York have done. Uh, we're hoping to hear some updates about this, or at least I'm certainly interested to hear any, uh, this coming Thursday at the Erie County Federation of Sportsman's Clubs meeting. Um, that's going to be coming up. They're going to be holding that down in Chafee, New York, at the Erie County Conservation Society. Uh, that's this Thursday, the 26th of May. Uh, the board meeting's at 6.30. General starts at 7. The general is open to the public, by the way. Uh, we also have the state legislative session winding down, thankfully. Uh, the session is planned to end on June 2nd, which is next Thursday, so there's a little over a week to go, but still much can happen over the next several days, and we are watching several bills, bills that could cause bad issues for the sporting community if passed. Uh, right now, they're not going anywhere. It is an election year, so I don't seem to believe at least... Years past, would, would you know the smart money would be these controversial bills, no matter how bad one side or the other, whoever's in power may want them. If there is enough controversy behind a bill, they're going to let it slide until the you know the election is over, uh, and not bring it up, which is you know typical of New York, and and uh, you know we're expecting more of the same. However, uh, you know this year the Democrats don't even you know, aren't really making things stealthy anymore. They're, they're telling you flat out what they want, and they're keeping the quiet part uh, uh, out in the open as well. Uh, you know, case in point is uh, the uh, energy scenario in the United States and here in New York, and while the people are being crippled by absolutely terrible and, and uh, uh, unnecessary and disgusting energy policy, they seem to be happy with it, and, and now there's rumors that they're going to say, you know, well, you know, this is what we have to do to transition. We have to pay for it, as if they're now liking all these price advances. Um, but, you know, here still in New York, the Democrats really understand that they don't need to add to their already grim election season outlook for 2022. And even Hansy-Anzy, the love gov that resigned in disgrace, he's eyeballing a potential political comeback, as it is that bad for Democrats in New York and Democrats in general this election cycle, which is giving, uh, you know, Cuomo's dozen sycophantic supporters or so Cuomo sexual shivers. But I wouldn't expect him to toss his hat in the ring this year, as I think it would only cause further issues for the Democrats, and more issues from the outside aren't welcome right now. Um, and this is especially true in light of that uh, redistricting disaster that Democrats brought upon themselves, trying to gerrymander the state into one-party rule permanently. Um, you know, that, that was tossed from court, uh, by the courts, and a new uh, district maps have been drawn up by the court-appointed specialist. So, you know, that's gonna, it's going to be an interesting uh, season uh, between the session ending in June and uh, November. But, you know, remember, the governor could always call an emergency session uh, at some point between then to pass some bad legislation. So eyes open, ever vigilant, folks. And also in some local news, the Dunkirk Observer has reported that the village of Fredonia is now examining the nuisance deer numbers in the village, and they're seeking to implement a solution that involves archery hunting to alleviate the growing deer numbers and the pressure they're putting on property owners through gobbling up all their landscaping. Uh, concerns also exist regarding ticks being brought closer into proximity of people, and this message is being heard by the village board of trustees, prompting trustee John Epperson Esperson, excuse me, um, John Epperson to announce the initiative is being explored in more than just academic terms. So that's a great thing. Uh, you know, as I'm reading that, you know, I, I, I was reminded and it came back to my mind that the New York State Conservation Council does support hunting as the vehicle to control urban and suburban deer, where big game hunting is permitted. 
And uh, so I went ahead and sent along some reports and guidance from the DEC on urban deer management uh, to uh, uh, Trustee Esperson. And, uh, you know, they were looking to try to get something going uh, by this coming hunting season to leverage hunters. So starting October 1st during the archery season is where, you know, the village of Fredonia may start uh, working on this. Well, folks, that music means I've got to take my first break of the day. And segment number one of this episode of We Love Outdoors is in the can, believe it or not. But, hey, folks, we're just going to take a short little break. So don't go anywhere because We Love Outdoors with Rich Davenport will be right back. Welcome back, all you sportsmen and women and conservationists across New York State and the Fruited Plain to the second segment of this week's episode of We Love Outdoors with Rich Davenport, coming to you from sunny Tandawanda, New York. Wow, it's, you know, it, it is a beautiful day. Uh, the temperatures have come up. It was a little bit chilly the last couple of days as we've been on the uh, typical springtime roller coaster in the western New York and Great Lakes region. Um, but you know, fishing is now in full plumage, if you will. Uh, the bird is, is decked out and you know, it's, it's a great thing to, to be out there casting a line, stretching a line, even though it is, you know, the temperatures are a little bit up and down and it's, uh, kind of tough to know what to wear. It's like you're wearing, uh, three seasons worth of clothing any given day. When you get up, you're bundled up. And then you got to take all that off in the morning as, as it comes to the afternoon. And then your ride back, getting out of the uh, out of the stream or off the lake, off the water, uh, you got to bundle back up again as if it was late fall. It's it's really a lot of fun. But you know, one thing that's a problem is that Let's Go Brandon's gas prices are putting a bit of a damper on what would be a very very active season. Um, as high fuel prices, you know, coupled with Sturgeon Point being slow to open. Um, has caused the South Towns Walleye Association to cancel this year's Perch Derby as a lack of interest driven by high fuel prices and prospects of making long runs in the boat chilled participation. And even waiting until the final few days didn't really help bring enough people in to make the event even running it worthwhile. Um, South Towns Walleye did announce on their Facebook page that the event is canceled and those who did enter would be receiving a full refund. It is a shame, but it's understandable. You know, as we look at $5 a gallon gasoline for the first time in the history of the combustion engine in this nation, uh, you know, a lot of things are going to be curtailed. And, you know, that access across uh, every point that we get on Lake Erie in New York, each one of those access points becomes that much more critical. Uh, otherwise, you're making a much longer run of the boat and you're burning up a lot more money. Now, that's not to say that necessarily it isn't welcome because obviously the more money that some things cost, the more money we're going to spend, the higher the economic impact. But when you're looking at gasoline with the very tight margins that it already has, uh, that's just eating into something else in someone else's pocket because certainly wages aren't going to be, uh, uh, you know, keeping pace with this. And I heard that, you know, somebody on, on one of the talk shows was talking about if you don't make over $100,000 a year, you're being hurt by the gas prices today. And that was very, very true. And, you know, fishermen do have a, uh, you know, carry above average education. But, you know, we're not the wealthiest of uh, user groups. Yes, we have some wealthy fishermen, but it's a, it's a universally enjoyed sport going right down to the to lower income levels too and they're the ones that are really hurting with let's go Brandon gas prices to boot it really is a shame however speaking of Sturgeon Point Marina it's now open for launching um, the gas dock I don't believe is quite ready yet they might have some uh, uh, need to get some serious additives into the gasoline to stabilize it before it's suitable for sale um, they may need to pump it out uh, unknown um, but delayed openings and gas sitting in a storage tank near the water, that doesn't do good things to gasoline. So um, there are still a few challenges that exist, 
Uh, there's still a, a, a section of uh, slip docks that are being repaired, but for the most part, it's wide open. And everybody can use it now. Um, if you're a slip holder, you can get your boat in the water. You might want to call in advance to make sure your specific slip number is available and you don't have a problem getting off your boat and back onto dry land. Um, the dumpster has remained a very hot topic of contention, and, uh, you know, there's it's... It's just a, it's silly that to think that the town of Evans would just leave this thing out in the open and just another target to be a pinata for. But hey, Sturgeon Point is open and that's excellent news. So yeah, that'll cut down some of the the driving. You know, certainly uh, from Buffalo to get to uh, I don't know, say places like Evans Bar uh, where the walleye are biting pretty good at night, and uh, you know other places like uh, Myers Reef and and the mouth 18 Mile Creek. So that's real good news. And in other fishing news, the uh, Fisheries Advisory Boards of Erie, Niagara, and Chautauqua Counties are now embarking to update the Lake Erie Fishing Hotspot Map, which is a very popular tourism edu and educational vehicle that is available in both printed and online forms. It's available for free. You don't have to sign up on any specific website. It's it's uh, hosted by uh, predominantly by uh, Erie.gov and the uh, uh, the sport fishing uh, side of that particular. Uh, a website so that's really nice and the both or all three of these uh, advisory boards are working to update uh, both of these to get the uh, information fresh there's been uh, some charter captains that have passed away there's some new charter captains coming up uh, bait and tackle shops closing due to retirements new ones opening up so they're going to be uh, hoping to get all these revisions in sync so they can go ahead and uh, update the online portion and put into uh, into motion a reprint of the paper version so they have up-to-date information and uh, that should be coming very soon again the, hopefully those uh, uh, updates will be compiled by July so that's good news some reminders as I mentioned you know this is uh, uh, next week is going to be the start of June and June 1 opens the inland muskie season officially but the unofficial start date this year is this coming Saturday May 28th or the last Saturday in May as uh, you know you had a lot of plans that were made. I've, I'm sure I've beaten that horse to death. But, uh, you know, this year the, the DEC will not enforce that opening day, June 1. They will next year. And then this Saturday coming up, uh, or I should say next Saturday coming up, June 4th, is East Aurora's Teach a Kid to Fish community event at their clubhouse grounds in East Aurora. That event is uh, totally free to, to attend. Uh, registration starts at 930. Um, June 11th is the DEC's Family Fishing Clinic at Tift. Uh, farms down on uh, uh, Furman Boulevard, off Fulham Bo Furman Boulevard in the uh, South Buffalo area. And the Erie County Federation of Sportsman's Clubs is hosting at on June 25th a Teach Me to Fish clinic at Chestnut Ridge Park's Commissioner Cabin. Um, and also Buffalo United Front and the Eastside Anglers Association are bringing to you the free family fishing days down at Broderick Park on June 25th and 26th, which also happens to be the second New York State Free Fishing Weekend. So, you know, a lot going on coming up in June. And, you know, also don't forget that June 11th marks the start of the 38th annual South Towns Walleye Derby. Uh, which runs through the 19th of June. And, uh, you know, on the 15th sandwiched in between there is the opening of Black Bass season statewide, which was moved to the, from that third Saturday to June 15th. A recent announcement does have the local fishing community saddened as Dave's Bait and Tackle, a 47-plus year fixture in the town of Derby on Route 5, uh, has announced, sadly, that they're closing up for good with an announcement on their Facebook page telling anglers that the time had come. You know, Dave Watt had become something of a legend, and with Big Catch closing up with uh, Bill and Pat Van Camp retiring from the business, Dave was really the last old-school bait-and-tackle provider left in the western New York area, and definitely in Erie County. Uh, there's still some old-school guys in Chautauqua County, uh, but there are not that many left. You know, you look at maybe uh, Bill's Hooks uh, and Jerome Miller's out of uh, uh, Sunset Bay. I mean, those are really, that's, those are the old-time guys, and uh, you know, it's just, it's, it's a shame to see those eras end, that's for sure. So things are, you know, kind of getting tough for fishermen in Erie County and finding solid bait outlets close to the waters. Uh, you've got Russ's Bait and Tackle on Niagara Street, uh, down, uh, you know, not too far from Broderick Park in the foot of Ferry. And you also got Chimay's Tackle, um, which is up along the river, uh, more in Tonawanda Black Rock area. 
uh, and that's really about it, you know, located along the river now. Uh, there's also Lake Effect Bait and Tackle that just opened up a couple years ago in Tonawanda and Delaware. And then you have Captain Bob's, which is located in Clarence off Main Street. Um, one would think that a grand opportunity might exist for someone with some gumption to come in and open up a bait shop that's conveniently located near the Great Lakes waters. But, you know, it's, they, this might be just another condition that regulations governing bait fish since 2005-2006, they continue to be a very difficult thing for bait dealers to overcome. It's just amazing. And it's, it's especially sad because, you know, fishing has been on a tear right now and the record-setting trends are continuing. And this time, we have another record that's set right here in New York State, folks. Um, right here in New York, we've got a new freshwater record, and that was uh, uh, happened on May 8, 2022, when Watertown angler Bailey Williams reeled in a 35-pound, 9-ounce channel catfish from the Black River in Jefferson County while using cut bait, cut bait fished along the bottom. Uh, the specimen that he caught, this big giant channel cat, which is the largest catfish that call, uh, in New York waters, it calls New York home, uh, this surpassed the old record that was caught from Lake Ontario in 2017 by 9 ounces. So that's a great job. Congratulations. We've got a lot of record fishing going on. We've got great, great things happening. And, uh, you know, it's just a shame that we see bait shops closing and not opening. We're seeing more closing than opening, and that's, that's not a good thing. I do hear that there are some rumblings of some other bait shops that may be opening in the not-too-distant future, but... Um, you know, until those those announcements are made uh, official and the store opens, uh, we try to keep that uh, on the down low as in the rumor mill category. But congratulations, Bailey, uh, on re you know setting that state record. You know, one of a, uh, a friend of mine, very good friend of mine, you know, used to hold that record at 31 and a half pounds when he set that back in 2003, and it stood for a, a, like about two weeks. And then a 32 and three quarter pounder broke his 31 and a half, and his broke a 30 pounder that was set in 2000. It's, you know, this this is one of those uh, resources, the channel catfish, that are just absolutely spectacular, and yet people tend to overlook it in New York State. Uh, you know, there is a big uh, uh, catfish tournament that's kind of kept on the down low that's held out of Brant, New York, uh, and, you know, up along Derby in that area. It's like 100 bucks to get in. It's, it's happening right now, and uh, it's a really good tournament, and there's some big, big specimens. Uh, you know, you get to aggregate, I think, five fish uh, that they let you enter in, and it's it's a it's like a, a week-long derby or something to that effect. Uh, hopefully next year I can get more information on it. But, you know, you get a lot of people that do participate in it. It's a great tournament. And, yeah, we've got some, you know, very, very special channel catfish waters in New York State uh, that, folks, it's, it's just overlooked. It's totally overlooked. And, uh, you know, who knows, maybe more people will start taking advantage of it once they hear that, a you know, a fish that's a little over 30 and 35 and a half pounds uh, is the new state record. Well, I'm going to switch gears real quick because, you know, May 23rd, yesterday, was National Turtle Day. Yeah, that's right, there is. We got a day for everything, you know. Um, and and I, except for National Toupee Day, I don't think we got that, but maybe we do. You know, somebody might send me an email and say, yeah, we got that, and tell me what day it is. Uh, but the DEC is reminding everyone to watch out for turtles as their breeding activity and they're migrating from their areas where they, they uh, you know, they winter and then they wake up and feed. Uh, they're now migrating to their nesting areas to breed and uh, lay their eggs and do that thing. Um, so, you know, their activity is increasing and they're crossing roads haphazardly. And even though a shell on a turtle is pretty darn solid, it's now no match for a vehicle. So you be very careful, be extra careful while you're driving. Give those turtles a break. Uh, we've got a number of different species of turtles. The one you're going to encounter mostly on the roads would most likely be the snapping turtle. Um, but we do have some painted turtles and box turtles as well in New York State. And we don't want to be, you know, hurting them. The painted turtle in particular is a, is a, is a threatened species in New York. Uh, so, you know, give them a break and, uh, you know, try to leave uh, the turtles alone. Or maybe you can pull over safely and maybe help them across the street if, if traffic uh, does permit. Um, just be careful when handling a snapping turtle. You know, their, their neck is longer than you think it is. Uh, and also, deer are starting to uh, have their fawns now. And uh, DEC is also saying, you know, if you see them, you know, leave them be. 
Uh, they may be cute, and uh, you may want to get a, a a little selfie with them, or you know maybe you know you can you can pet them or something. You know these these uh you know young of the year fawns are uh, uh, just absolutely you know cute as a button, but you know you may uh, you know risk driving the mom away and having her abandon them if you try to do too much interaction with these deer, or she'll get a little ornery with you and maybe try to try to challenge you to, to knock you away. I mean, it's just not a good idea. So keep your distance and enjoy nature from a distance. Uh, you know, you certainly don't want to be uh, handling or petting or, or capturing or whatnot, um, you know, the wildlife. And spring is the, the season of birth, and these animals are being born right now or they're getting ready to breed. So just be uh, aware of that. Well, folks, that means you hear that music, and it means I'm going to have to take my second break of the day. The Fastest Podcast has segment number two in the can, but you know what? Don't go anywhere because We Love Outdoors with Rich Davenport will be back after this short break. Don't go anywhere. And welcome back, all you sportsmen and women and conservationists across New York State and the Fruited Plain to segment number three of this week's episode of We Love Outdoors with Rich Davenport coming to you on Anchor.fm, powered by Spotify. You know, the march to renewable energy, we're seeing so many bad things, you know, and that that's, it really, we're going to need to take a real slow break, and we may not be able to slow it down till Election Day but, uh, you know, we, we see what's going on across the pond in the U.K. and in Europe uh, where their dependency on Russian gas and uh, compounded with their high reliance on wind energy is really putting their consumers, their people, their citizens uh, into energy poverty as the scarcity of energy is really rearing its ugly head in Europe. And we're on that collision course here in the United States, and New York State in particular, uh, with our own version of the, uh, or own perversion, I should say, of the Green Deal. Uh, it's not a good deal. It's it's just, a, it's terrible. Um, we're rushing headlong into it. And as we get more reports that, you know, the, the independent systems operators in Michigan, MISO, uh, they're now warning that for the first time in the history of uh, Michigan, uh, that they may have a lot of rolling blackouts to contend with during the summer, especially if it gets warmer than usual. Uh, they're already forewarning about it. New York is not far behind in that. And, you know, we've got a lot of updates to, you know, to talk about concerning energy in the United States and this reckless and feckless pursuit of wind and solar. Um, you know, trying to say that the climate change, which doesn't exist, it's a natural thing. It's not man-driven. That's a boogeyman of, of, uh, of epic uh, make-believe. Um, but, you know, there's predictions, you know, that are very credible that have come out with a lot of science documented behind it that we're on collision course this year to start seeing the kick-in of that solar minimum. And that, that minimum period of activity, the slowdown of activity in, in, in the sun, uh, is going to create cooling. And there's already been some cooling being seen over the last several years in the United States, but planetary as well, despite what they're telling you. Um, and it, it looks like this solar minimum, if patterns that have been recognized by uh, those who have studied this uh, you know, hold true, uh, that minimum should be running through 2050, 2053. So we don't know what exactly is going on with that yet, but I can tell you that you know, the climate is not something that man can control and we can't alter it one way or the other. Uh, but you know, that means also that we've got these myths going on um, that renewable energy would be cost competitive and, you know, you wouldn't have to add billions of dollars to taxpayers and ratepayers um, to save the, uh, the sky is falling uh, uh, chicken littles that are out there. But all of this is really falling apart. Uh, let's consider the May 15th, 2022 article um, that was in the New York Post. Uh, the headline was Green New Deal plan will cost New Yorkers hundreds of billions in energy bills. 
according to a, uh, uh, an official with the Public Service Commission, which is in charge of most of the electric energy until ORS came around in 94C, and they, they took over the uh, solar and wind, and the Public Service Commission has everything else. Um, but, you know, the, this is really a gigantic deception that has been pulled on everyone um, that is the arbitrary and capricious climate change law, and it's finally being called out for what it is, and it, it's a... It's something that the taxpayers and ratepayers got hoodwinked into believing. But according to this article by Carl Campanelli, New Yorkers will have to pay hundreds of billions of dollars more in higher utility bills as lawmakers refuse to levy the necessary tax increases required to make the necessary capital investments in the electric grid to support the renewable folly leaving the Public Service Commission effectively holding the bag to be the bad guy in this equation, which is typical of the Democrats. They're going to pass a law, they see who the, the, the scapegoat is if this goes bad, and then they got somebody to blame to say it was their fault, not the law directing them to act a certain way. It was the, the actions. It, it, it's just breathtaking. Um, John Howard is the whistleblower in this, a former chairman and the current uh, member of the State Public Service Commission, claimed former Governor Andrew Cuomo in the Democratic-run legislature never leveled with the public on the costs associated with this climate change law, the Climate Leadership and Community Protection Act, approved in 2019. Howard, during a, a PSC session Thursday, said local polls totally obfuscated, the local politicians totally obfuscated the cost of the plan because the sticker shock would have made the initiative unpopular, to say the least. It's unaffordable. Uh, the commission, which regulates power utilities, was tasked with approving rate increases to pay for the capital investments required to comply with the new Green Deal-inspired law. So here, come the, the, here comes the law. Um, people like National Grid, National Fuel, and others, NYSIG, they have to raise their rates. They have to go before the Public Service Commission to get that approved. They, of course, are going to approve it because they have to pay for the law. And then, you know, people get mad, and now the, the, everyone's going to be upset at the PSC, not at, rightfully, the Democrat legislature, which passed the law in the first place. Um, Con Edison and other utilities, these, you know, obviously they're going to pass on the costs of this green new terrible deal, uh, you know, to the cons to the customers, the consumers, you and me. Uh, Howard went on and said, "I hope my colleagues on this commission understand that responsibility falls to us exclusively, to the tune of hundreds, not a couple, but hundreds of billions of dollars." Terrible. Other public service members, uh, former state senator Dave Valeski, John Maggiore, also warned about relying solely on utility hike rates, uh, or utility rate hikes rather, uh, to pay for New York's Green New Deal. The cost of the state's conversion to green energy far exceeds the ability to finance solely through electric bills, Maggiore said. Aides to Governor Kathy Hochul and a key lawmaker who helped craft the green energy law slammed Howard as an alarmist. Isn't that rich? We've got to do this to save the planet. Otherwise, it's going to cost us more if we don't do this. Now he's saying he's an alarmist. It is incorrect and irresponsible to suggest New York ratepayers will be on the hook for the entire cost of our state's transition to clean energy. Well, who the hell else is going to pay for it? Uh, this is, this is um, uh, a spokesperson. They didn't even name this person, or Doreen, there she is. Um, no, no, it's a spokesperson for the co-chairs of this uh, Climate Action Council, which is made up of uh, Jekyll and Hyde DEC Commissioner Basil Sagos and the New York State Research and De Energy Research and Development Authority CEO Doreen Harris. So those two have a spokesperson that said um, it's irresponsible to suggest that ratepayers will be on the hook for the entire cost of the transition to clean energy. Who the hell else is going to be on the hook for it? Santa Claus? I mean, the ratepayers are going to do it. The taxpayers, you know, there's more ratepayers actually than taxpayers in the state, by the way, if you actually look at it. Uh, even if you're on heap, you're still paying something, and there's a tax in there. Oh, my goodness. Of course it's going to be caught, you know, paid by the uh, the ratepayers. You mook. I can't believe that's actually stated. What a lie. What is indisputable, here's, here's the alarmism. So after the projection calling Howard an alarmist, what is indisputable is that the cost of inaction is more than $100 billion higher than the cost of investing in clean energy future. Oh, I'd like to see you prove that one. Oh, my God. No proof. 
The claim is never presented to have any proof. And this new mantra from these ideologues is just that. And they paint the other side when they're saying, look, we need to be fiscally responsible and realize who's going to be on the hook for how much. Oh, that's alarmism. we got to pay for it because if we don't, it's going to be even more expensive. Eh? Yeah. You see how that works, folks? Absolutely breathtaking. You know, it's it, it, they have the audacity to call someone who is trying to be fiscally responsible and save taxpayers money an alarmist. Oh, my God, it's absolutely crazy. It's reprehensible and irresponsible. That's what I call it, and that sums up the entire Democrat Communist Party perfectly. Yet we see it right now. With increasing scarcity of electrical energy generated in-state, forcing New York to import ever-growing amounts of power from Pennsylvania and New Jersey. And with each coal plant and nuclear plant that closes, New York's demand doesn't fall to reflect the lost generation. Quite the opposite. We import more from Canada and Pennsylvania, predominantly, a luxury that will evaporate if these neighbors, just like Michigan is doing and finding out as well, if these all they all act as stupidly as New York did. The entire eastern electrical grid is at stake. It's not just us. It's not just Michigan. It's the entire eastern seaboard from Canada all the way down to Florida and the states that are running east of the Mississippi. That's what is at stake. And people don't understand it. No one's calling it out except yours truly. I hope people are listening. Everyone will see utility costs rise with a steady uptick happening each month. Despite nicer weather and lower demand, you're going to see your electric bill higher than it is in the wintertime with lower demand. Unless, of course, you're using it on, you know, uh, air conditioning. Then you need to hope we have a, you know, the summer is as cool as the spring has been. It's being only a few, a few days, you know, being a little bit uh, uncomfortable. Absolutely amazing. And in typical form, you got the the, the Senate de uh, Assemblyman, the Democrat rather, I should say, the Democrat Assemblyman, Steve Englebright, who also chairs the, the Assembly's ENCON committee and is the one that's chiefly responsible for the crossbow bill not to be brought to the full floor, just to remind you sportsmen and women who these people are. Um, you know, this guy ducked the responsibility of raising the taxes, leaving it up to the PSC to approve enormous rate hikes to foot the bill, while then being able to claim he had nothing to do with it. He passed the bill, but they didn't tax it. They just directed PSC to approve uh, rate hikes to pay for the bill. And then it's not his fault. That's how they operate, folks. Um, and when, indeed, he had everything to do with it being a co-sponsor of that arbitrary and capricious climate change bill that went through uh, you know, the, uh, the budget process. And then he goes ahead and does the Pollywanna cracker routine by parroting the mantra pushed by the climate change committee. PSC's Howard has to be an alarmist while claiming the climate crisis is causing storms to be more severe when they're not and more frequent when they aren't and costing billions more, which, you know, is a lie, except if you want to point out moves like, I don't know, Plan 2014 in Lake Ontario, because, of course, the, you know, global warming was causing the Great Lakes to dry up, and we needed to raise the lake level so the uh, the ducks had uh, more water, water or wetlands to work with, and uh, then the drought ended, and, you know, there you go. So, you know, and that's going to be blown by, right by, by the Communist Democrats, because they don't care. It's not their money. They don't care at all. And while pursuit of this folly is getting more expensive, people are being misled with the foundation of lies itself being built upon installed capacity of power plants, but not the actual output or capacity factor. The lies are breathtaking. And hundreds of billions of dollars will be ripped from our pockets needlessly, not to mention damage to hundreds of thousands of acres of open green spaces wantonly. Unbelievable. Just to get nothing. All in the name of reducing carbon dioxide emissions, which is plant food, not a pollutant. And carbon dioxide is used at levels four times or greater than that which is in the atmosphere to stimulate faster plant growth. That's a fact. And it doesn't impact the, the heat inside, the temperature inside a, a, a greenhouse one iota. But they're, you know, oh, greenhouse effect, greenhouse effect. It's absolutely crazy. And, you know, why would they lie about this stuff, right? You know, people, oh, that's, you know, you've been lied to. It's the bottom line. Why would they do that? You know, they're trying to save the planet. No, they're not. They want control over you and your money. And they want to take more money out of your pocket for more control over you. 
It's a simple and easy thing to see when you drop your ideology because none of the solutions they're putting in place to a problem that doesn't exist is going to solve anything. It's going to cause the problems that we don't need, and that's for darn sure. And it's going to impact the lowest level of our income scale in our uh, society the hardest, believe it or not. These are the same people that say they stand for them. It's absolutely breathtaking. You know, it's 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 nuts because, you know, they're trying to blame the Ukrainian war on the price of oil. Scarcity is what's driving all this stuff up. But make no mistake, everything has seen price advantages or, or price advances from energy costs skyrocketing and the labor shortages caused by two years of COVID, COVID, COVID fear-mongering. Now we're getting the monkeypox. They're trying to set that one up. What a hoot. Um, you know, this is just absolutely crazy. But, you know, as we start digging, you know, there's been a bunch of things that have been uh, released as of late, uh, including some cost estimates from the Energy Information Administration that, you know, they do that every year. They update their estimated costs of building power plants of all sorts of generation types. And, uh, you know, this outlook for this year is reflecting some of those let's go Brandon inflationary pressures that, you know, are now starting to manifest. Well, folks. You hear that music? That's right. The fastest podcast in history has now got three of the four segments today in the can, and i got to take my last break of the day. But don't go anywhere, folks. Stretch your legs, get a cup of coffee, and we love outdoors with Rich Davenport. We'll be right back. Welcome back, all you sportsmen and women and conservationists across New York State and the Fruited Plain to the last segment of this week's episode of We Love Outdoors with Rich Davenport, coming to you from sunny Tandawanda, New York. Um, you know, as I was mentioning in the last uh, the last uh, bit part of the segment before here, uh, you know, costs have been, you know, continually, they're updated every year by the Energy Administration, Energy Information Administration, EIA.gov. That's a part of the Department of Energy. And their energy outlook this year, you know, I'm going to be focusing on um, uh, just one piece of that, the offshore wind costs, because obviously uh, we've got some things that are that are pertinent, not only the Great Lakes, but we've got an, a, a mandate that was in that arbitrary and capricious um, climate change bill that, you know, mandates 9,000 megawatts or 9 gigawatts of offshore wind installed capacity by 2035 or 2040. I'd have to double check on that, but uh, that's, you know, according to NYSERDA, that mandate is only applicable to offshore the Atlantic Ocean. Great Lakes um, are not part of the mandate in the law, but Great Lakes are being looked at for economic development. But Let's just take a look at that 9,000 megawatts that's part of this uh, climate change law, which is part of the hundreds of billions of dollars that ratepayers are going to have to uh, absorb. And this is not just, uh, this is just one facet of the wind uh, uh, mandate and, uh, you know, the mandate in general to get, you know, 100% carbon free by 2050, you know, which also includes solar. There's a lot of money being spent on that as well. But, you know, the way that you look at it is, factored by the overnight kilowatt cost, which is if you could build a power plant overnight um, and have no interest and you don't factor in the cost of tax subsidies, subsidies and you're not talking about building out transmission, uh, if you could build it overnight, how much would that power plant cost you per kilowatt that its installed capacity instantaneously, maximally could generate? So, you know, you look at 9,000 megawatts or 9 million kilowatts, okay, 9 million kilowatts is the mandate for offshore wind. And the New York City offshore wind overnight kilowatt cost um, in 2021 was estimated at $5,486 a kilowatt. Um, so, you know, you would factor that in uh, to try to figure out how much that 9,000 megawatts or 9 gigawatts or 9 million kilowatts would cost you. And the overnight kilowatt cost 
it was uh, $49.374 billion. That's that estimate in, in uh, 2021. But this went up now, um, and we know that the figure is going to be much higher. Uh, in December 2020, for example, the prime interest rate, which is not measured by the uh, overnight kilowatt cost, uh, 30-year fixed mortgage was 2.68%. It's now 5.2 for the same term. Um, you know, what about... Uh, uh, the overnight kilowatt cost for 2022, that's been now pegged at a 10.8% increase to $6,079 a kilowatt. So without building anything, without putting a shovel in the sand for, you know, for lack of a better term, that $49 billion is now $54.711 billion just to build 9,000 uh, megawatts of installed capacity of offshore wind in the Atlantic Ocean. There's 54, almost $55 billion. And they've already talked about transmission could cost as high as $20 billion, maybe even $30 billion. And now you can add more because that's going to also take a hit upwards. And you're, you're staring at 70 to $80 billion plus. But then what, well, what do we get? We get 9 gigawatts of installed capacity, right? But the answer to that one is no. So we have $55 billion to build it out. But according to the, information, or the uh, independent systems operators of New York, your capacity factor for wind energy in New York State is 26%. You get a quarter of it. So, you know, what are you actually going to get for that 9,000 megawatts? Um, you're not going to get a whole heck of a lot. Um, you know, when we look at things like natural gas that has a capacity factor of around 72%, uh, you look at the Indian Point Energy Complex that carried a capacity factor of 84% during its final years of operation. Um, you know, when you look at 9,000 megawatts at $55 billion, the output is only going to be predicted to be 2.3 megawatts or 2,340 uh, 2, megawatts, 2.3 gigawatts. That's it out of 9,000. But $55 billion to not even get 3 gigawatts? It's unreal. Um, you know, when you look at a natural gas combustion turbine, the industrial frame in New York City that carries a much lower kilowatt cost of $1,144 per overnight kilowatt, you know, in, in 9,000 megawatts of installed natural gas capacity would cost one-fifth $10.296 billion versus $55 billion and deliver three times as much, 6,480 megawatts. I mean, that's less than a fifth of the cost to triple the output. And natural gas is not wind. It can be controlled all the time, 24-7. It's not a weather-dependent fuel. The Great Lakes also has gone up. And, you know, it was already flagged in a couple of the different breakout meetings that NYSERDA had that they were kind of playing fast and loose with the cost of offshore wind in New York State uh, using uh, New York City costs uh, in place of upstate costs, which is about 20% higher. So if I look at the Great Lakes and see what we're costing there, uh, that overnight kilowatt cost is now $7,370. So we get a price tag that goes from $1.3 billion to almost $1.5 to get nothing. And, uh, you know, we got a 200, that's just to build out 200 megawatts or 200,000 kilowatts. And you're only going to get 52 megawatts off of it versus building the same thing. Um, on an industrial frame basis, that would cost us the 200 megawatts. Wouldn't cost us 1.474 billion. It would cost us 171 million, and we'd get 144 megawatts. 144 megawatts off it all the time. Unbelievable. I mean, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out what the good is here. But you know, for all the bad, I mean, because you know the Democrats voted that they wanted to destroy our fresh water when they voted down the. Uh, uh, freshwater moratorium by Senator George Borrello uh, last month in the uh, Senate NCON committee. Just terrible, right along party lines. And, uh, you know, it's it's just, you know, the measure alone is if we just get away from uh, this development in freshwater, it's going to save us billions of dollars, um, not just in the construction damage and useless eyesores, but saving the economic activity that we already have on the Great Lakes and not jeopardizing that. You know, we could increase the capacity of the Niagara Power Project. We could retrofit the Huntley plant and the Dunkirk NRG plant to use natural gas at a very small price tag, as I've shown. 
uh, relative to offshore wind and actually realize a lot of output for it and a lot of you know improvements in uh, emissions as it is and we don't need to worry about carbon dioxide it's plant food you know don't forget that um, but uh, NPP is uh, obviously hydro the Niagara power project and we wouldn't be needlessly slaughtering endangered uh, eagles and terns. We wouldn't be wiping out bats and migrating monarch butterflies. We wouldn't be shedding endocrine inhibiting bisphenol A into the waters, nor would we be increasing the microplastics that are in the waters. Um, we wouldn't risk gear fluid leaks into the waters of life. We wouldn't be re-exposing decades of toxins left on the lake bottom as our reminder of our own stupidity that left Lake Erie nearly dead and a community under swarms of allergy-causing caddisflies. While, you know, not introducing a hundred or so electromagnetic frequency generating transmission lines along the bottom, you know, which are going to do great harm to the benthic community of crustaceans and annelids that help underpin the lake's food sources. You know, we, we wouldn't have to worry about um, if we went down the road of the natural gas, we wouldn't build out power plants that not only deliver actual power, you know, if we do this with uh, natural gas instead of the wind, we would also have reserve output that's built in as well, as 60% of nameplate capacity is what's demanded. And anything over what is demanded, uh, which is the, you know, the balance of the capacity factor, that's called, that's called reserve capacity. So if we need to dial it up, they know they can call on these power plants for, you know, to squeeze a little more output out of it versus what we get with the renewables, which, you know, they have the output to 30%, and wind is at 26%, that creates a net deficit. There is no reserve when it comes to uh, wind energy. You're already in a deficit in trying to meet the load, and solar is even worse at 14% capacity factor. So, you know, what we're getting in that is no reserves, which increases the volatility and unreliability of the grid, risking rolling blackouts to avoid the brownouts that'll occur if load exceeds output. That's what Michigan is warning about now. All of this stuff ties together, folks. There's reasons for it. You know, we would also, if we didn't build those uh, wind turbines and, and let's save that money and put it into natural gas and get the output at a fraction of the price and get the output, that's what we really need. We would also avoid radar interference for both Doppler and Homeland Security radar systems. You wouldn't need no-go zones for security and safety, and which would impact boating and diving and fishing and all those other things that are huge out on the Great Lakes. And, of course, you wouldn't have to worry about how to protect the turbines from Lake Erie storms, something that the folks that have those turbines on land in Lackawanna have decided they need a berm to do to protect them from the Lake Erie storms. Breathtaking. Let's go Brandon has been forcing fuel prices up, absolutely devastating the American economy and Americans across the board. And someone said if you're not making over 100000 as I said before, you're really struggling. And it's true. And here, the Democrats, led by their mouthpiece, puppet Sleepy Joe, recently has been caught praising the high gas prices and other costs of goods because he is obviously proud of this, claiming this is the transition we need to go through. So if there was any doubt these moves were forced, you know, to move to specifically force prices upward to meet an ideology and agenda, if you don't think it was intentional, you might perhaps be the dumbest person on the planet. But this transition is not to alternative fuels because that's not going to happen anytime soon. Our grid isn't even designed to handle this supposed throng of electric vehicles that are going to be hitting it. Uh, it's just not designed that way. Distribution from power plant right to the homes. It's not geared for this additional load and the size of this load aggregately and individually. Uh, what they're actually doing is they're going to be, you know, yoking this society under the jackboot of communist government, forcing those under 100,000 into more government programs to afford the energy that was made unaffordable on purpose by lousy anti-American policies by haters of America. And while they still try to peddle the lie that this is Putin's fault, which it isn't, the, it's, it's the opportunity provided by Democrats through this puppet Biden that throttled U.S. supply via lease uh, cancellations and pipeline project cancellations, which drove gasoline up to far higher prices due to shipping costs to get crude oil to the refineries. And, you know, that, that all helped Putin and OPEC press prices on oil upwards to the point where it made that invasion affordable. And as Representative Steve Scalise has accurately pointed out, the Democrats are now saying the quiet part out loud. They're telling you and admitting it to it. Uh, that they are causing the pain at the pump to push their radical agenda. 
And, you know, nobody should be surprised about that. And guess what? They want that pain across the, across the energy board, not just transportation, but also with home heating costs and with electrical energy based on the moves that they're making, saying they need to save the planet. And that's not alarmism, but when a guy calls out the prices, the astronomical prices, that is alarmism. You know, it's, it's absolutely breathtaking to hear what they're doing and you listen to what they say and what they're calling those who are blowing the whistle on this nonsense. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's breathtaking, folks. You just can't make this up. This is like out of a really, really, really bad Mel Brooks movie or, a, or maybe a Woody Allen movie, uh, you know, and it, it's just, you know, satire, but it's sad because it's true. Well, folks, you know, you hear that music, and, you know, even though I could go on for another half hour or 45 minutes about this, uh, uh, about this communist uh, energy approach that the Democrats have uh, foisted upon us, my time is over and I've got to go for this week's episode. But hey folks, don't worry about a thing because the midterm elections are coming up in this November and we can change the trajectory with a simple vote. And you know, those wind turbines aren't yet built out on the lake and we haven't seen the billions and billions of dollars spent just yet. Although they're trying like mad to do so, we can still stand up and push back. But folks, I'll see you next week. Same bad time, same bad channel. Have a happy Memorial Day. God bless.